Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming an industry leader that brings a massive mix of skills and talents into a unique perspective and approach to solving some of our industry's toughest challenges. He combines clinical skills, HIT talents, a data scientist's approach, and just a desire to make a difference. A frequent industry speaker and thought leader, he's also just a tireless volunteer for not just Chime, but for our whole industry. We're happy to welcome Dr. William Fester, Vice President, Chief Health Information Officer, and Vice President of Academic Affairs at Children's Health of Orange County in California. Bill, welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Ross, for inviting me to participate in this podcast. Well, let's just start off with kind of a, a sense of reality here. We obviously still going through a little bit of a tough time. We're going through still kind of whatever round of the pandemic we're still in. How are you? How's your family doing? How are the folks out at uh, Children's in Orange County doing? Well, my family is doing well, and I hope yours is also, Russ. Um, fortunately, our CHOP team has, CHOP team has all survived the pandemic. Um, but the main challenge for us now is continuing to accommodate remote work. Now, pre-pandemic, no one worked remotely, but now approximately two-thirds of our staff are going to be permanent remote workers. So trying to accommodate to that and getting used to us just seeing each other on a little box on a computer monitor has been a little difficult. Uh, just missing those personal interactions. But otherwise, things are going pretty well in this new world. Well, yeah, I, you know, a lot of people get to their positions in different routes, different ways, different career paths. Actually, pretty much I've never found two people the same. Matter of fact, it's kind of like fingerprints. You know, love to hear a little bit about your career journey and, and where you got to where you are now, because it's it is not a straight path by any means. <laughs> yeah, and I think if we covered everything, uh, we wouldn't have enough time for any other questions on the podcast. Um, you know, the uh, I've been in practice for uh, and administration and IT work for about 40 years, post-residency and fellowships. Um, and I think the most important thing is my ability to apply the clinical knowledge that I gained from my practice in critical care, pediatric critical care and anesthesia, every day in my current position. Um, from helping my first hospital to computerize in 1983 at Oakland Children's Hospital to the present day, I've always combined my clinical practice with some sort of a position in IT prior to going full-time in IT. So it's, uh, it's been quite a journey. Well, you, you, I, I mentioned your title in your introduction, Chief, Chief Health Information Officer, and a lot of us have heard CMIOs, the chief medical, and CCIOs, which is what they call them all across Europe, especially with chief clinical information officer. You don't hear a lot of chief health information officers, though. Kind of tell us what that role is and what makes it unique. Yeah, well, when I came to Chalk, I came as the CMIO, fairly traditional role. And at that point, we were preparing to open a new hospital and moving all our ancillary services into the facility. This involved implementing departmental services in every area as we had previously contracted for these services. Um, so that was a pretty heavy informatics lift, but once that was completed, I was able to turn my attention to developing our analytics program, then implemented a population health database, 
and subsequently developed the data science program. So now much of my IT focus is on the use of information, not just informatics. So that's how I moved to the CHIO title and also saw that a few other lead physicians were using that title as well and moving into that role. Wow. So, so it sounds like a, a kind of a unique role because you don't hear a whole lot of, kind of combining all of those. How do you combine that into kind of your day-to-day -day single approach, how you kind of apply your strategic direction? Well, obviously, I can't do everything all myself. So you have to have good people who are um, managing the informatic shop while you're uh, managing other aspects of uh, the role, such as population health. And uh, we've had a very active and productive data science program. So it's, um, you know, it takes it a village, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I bring my skills to the table just as the rest of our wonderful team does. So that's how we get everything done. So, so one of the things that maybe you can help us shed some light on this, one of the things we keep hearing in the industry is, and I refer to it as, as that dark cloud that seems to be following us quite a bit. And that's this, this issue of physician burnout and system usability is you've put systems in and you're trying to make infra, you know, data into information, information into to actual actionable um, stuff that we can use. Kind of what's your approach and, and, and how do you help in trying to alleviate this burden? Uh, well, there's only so much IT can do because there's lots of reasons why physicians feel burned out, uh, but pretty much all professionals right now, whether they're nurses or um, nurse practitioners or physicians, providers, et cetera, are under so much stress right now. Uh, there are such high workloads that they're uh, exposed to they don't have many support staff now. A lot of our primary care physicians are, have, don't have people in their office to help them room patients, so they're rooming their own patients. They've lost so much control over their, their practice and their lives. And then there's also the EMR. So I, while I can't address all the other things, I can help with reasons associated with the EMR. I can try to release the, remove or reduce at least the burden it places on physicians by reducing time in the chart spent per day and giving them time back in their evenings to spend with their family. Hopefully that helps a little bit. So our focus for what we can do in IT is optimize the systems that they use, personalize them for their practices, trying to educate them on the use of those systems. I think that's what we in IT can do right now. But there are lots, you know, it's interesting. We did a, a survey uh, in 2019. We did the Arch Collaborative survey, and one of the questions was on burnout. Um, in that survey of the, the top reasons for burnout, three of the four top reasons were related to the EMR which, you know, you just sort of like, oh my God, we're killing these people. Uh, we repeated that just early this year. And of the top four reasons, the EMR came in one time number four, and the other reasons were more things like loss of control. So um, I don't think burnout has gotten better. I just think there are so many more reasons now why people are burning out. 
uh, that probably aren't things we can uh, address as easily. You know, it's, it's interesting, and I, I've heard a couple of recent speakers talk about this, that in any time of great transition, and I think most would argue we are in a period of healthcare transition, technology transition, digital health transition, that it tends to get worse before it gets better because you're trying to transition out of old and into new and new's not really working well. Do you think that's where we're at from your perspective? You can see so much of this from a, from a day-to-day perspective, or is it gonna be not as good for a longer period of time? Do you think it'll get better soon? Well, I guess I'm a natural optimist. So whether the system is broken or not, we still have to strive to constantly improve the way we care for our patients. And in particular now, I think there needs to be enhanced focus on how we're caring for our staff and our providers. Um, And there's also, uh, as an organization, as individuals, we need to increase our efforts to improve the legislative and regulatory environment that we really uh, need to uh, be more uh, accommodating to uh, what we're doing in healthcare and not just put more and more rules that make everything we do more difficult. Um, So that's one of the reasons I'm focusing some of my efforts at CHIME on public policy work because I think that's one thing we can do to try to ease the burden um, of of our providers and staff on providing care. You know, one of the things that that I know you've worked on, you mentioned it earlier as part of your position as it transitioned from CMIO to CHIO, and that is the development of the concept of data science or data science department. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your approach there, because for big academic centers, they probably know what data science is, but for probably a lot of others, they don't even see that in their organization. It's not a role. It's not a function. I'd love to kind of hear what data science is in your organization and how it affects your organization and benefits it. Yeah, well, we're kind of unique in that we have a data science uh, division within IT to support uh, activities in the organization. Um, You know, healthcare data by any definition is big data. Um, and we've certainly spent years collecting that data in our EMRs, our PAC systems, and other systems. Um, so if you believe in the concept of leveraging this big data to improve care, uh, the, uh, the individual that really knows how to do that is the data scientist. Uh, now, I'm not a data scientist. I clearly, I know a lot about data scientists about data science, but I'm not a data scientist. I have two PhD data scientists that work for me, and they have tools that they can predict the future based on what's happened in the past, so-called predictive analytics, and they have other tools that can process very complicated data like images or text and do tasks previously only within the realm of human intelligence, uh, such as interpreting an x-ray. So, um, you, can, you can see that there might be a lot of value applying all these tools to the care of patients, just like it's been applied to the finance industry and uh, to manufacturing and other things. It really makes us more effective as caretakers and providers if we use it well. So that's, uh, that's kind of how 
our data science program has evolved here over the last six years at Chalk. So one of the things that, that seems to be at least hitting the news a lot more, and this is relative to COVID, kind of the issue of the day for everybody, is you know that kind of that first wave, that first maybe 12 months now, probably going on 18 months, really was about elderly, um, immune compromised, and, and was focusing to getting people vaccinated. And now all of a sudden with new variants, we're starting to see really big issues with the pediatric population. One, there's not a lot of vaccine available for the younger population, uh, as well as it just seems the variants seem to be attacking in a different way. I'd love to hear, obviously, you're a children's hospital uh, in, in, in a pretty tough environment. And so we'd love to hear kind of one, what are you all seeing, but also how are you all using all these great tools and things like that to try to address this horrific situation? Yeah, well, children's hospitals had a bit of a different impact <clears throat> than adult hospitals. Um, and our impact was our volumes plummeted. Um, and so as uh, we uh, tried to make room for adult patients, if we needed to care for them as ICUs were filling up, as we were loaning our ventilators to our adult colleagues, uh, et cetera, our, uh, our finances really took a, uh, took a hit uh, to the tune of well over $100 million of losses. Um, uh, you know, so the hospital certainly had a disadvantage as a children's hospital. We are now getting very, very busy. We're not only seeing a surge in COVID patients, but we also are seeing a surge in overall respiratory viruses. Um, our ED is seeing uh, over 300 patients a day. They're uh, trying to uh, you know, escort them out to waiting areas outside because there's so many people in the waiting room. Uh, so we're getting a little overwhelmed right now by patients. And unfortunately, we're a little underwhelmed by staffing. Uh, we have staffing shortages because people have left California. They've left practice. We have vaccine mandates now. And some people have just quit because of the mandates. So um, we're in kind of a difficult time. The other thing that's interesting with pediatrics is every time you see a little surge, like this in COVID cases, you also then see a surge in MIS-C cases, uh, the inflammatory syndrome that affects children post-COVID. So that's been uh, difficult as well uh, for us because we get surges in these terribly ill patients who have um, you know, this inflammatory syndrome. So it's, it's a different pattern of disease, and, um, but right now we're seeing more kids with COVID itself. We're, I'm certainly um, optimistic since we have the Pfizer vaccine now being submitted for approval for five-year-old and up. So uh, hopefully that'll go fairly quickly through the FDA so we can start vaccinating our younger kids. Um, now, it was interesting. Um, we had access to a very large COVID database of patients. Um, and we have had the ability to uh, actually do quite a few studies on COVID patients through that database. And one of the, you know, one of the recent things that we published was sort of the, you know, we've all been aware of the impact of obesity on severe COVID disease. We also uncovered a, a tendency towards patients with undernutrition, 
to develop more severe disease. And I was kind of amazed that it was published in Nature. And uh, it has sort of reached uh, the top 1% of all articles cited or uh, inquired about. So, um, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a great time to be doing research, but it's a bad time uh, for our patient population. Well, it's, it's an interesting time without a doubt in healthcare right now in, in the sense that, you know, we really, we talked about this a little bit earlier, this transition we're going through from, you know, some would even say uh, an economic revolution where we kind of are leaving the information age and we're heading into the AI age and all the cool stuff you're working on, uh, really making all this stuff real. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on what things will look like from a healthcare perspective, what you see as trends, that we really should be focusing on? And, you know, what are some of the cool things? Because there is exciting things still happening in healthcare, despite all the difficult things we're dealing with right now. Yeah, uh, well, one of the most disturbing trends I see is all the politically motivated mistrust of medical science. Um, we made such incredible advances on vaccine development and timelines for that and applying technology for that that'll protect us against other diseases as well. It's now, uh, they're now working on an HIV vaccine based on the mRNA, um, you know, a model. So, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because uh, so much is happening right now, yet there's all this mistrust of uh, what, pe and people are getting such misinformation. So I think that's a real challenge that we'll face is to try to overcome that. And I think we have to see that as an opportunity as an organization, as providers, to educate the public on the great advances in healthcare that we've made and will make in the future. Now, unfortunately, one of the other things that there's a fair amount of mistrust on is the term artificial intelligence. And people see robots taking over uh, the world uh, or something like that. But I think in medicine, that's a real erroneous concept that we have to educate to as well. Where, where I see data science and artificial intelligence in medicine is not artificial intelligence, but intelligence augmentation. It's gonna make us all more capable and more, um, you know, more informed about the care of patients and give us tools to use that we can sort through the uh, huge amounts of information that we need to sort through to uh, provide care. So I think that's probably our greatest advance moving forward is the application of data science and uh, to augment um, intelligence of providers and caretakers. Is there any really cool projects y'all are working out there that you, without revealing any top secret uh, Children's of Orange County information. Are there any really cool projects that you kind of see as up and coming kind of things that we should point out? Well, the um, nothing is a secret to Children's Orange County because everything we do, we publish. Uh, about 20 articles in the last year alone. Um, we've developed several predictive algorithms that are yielding some real exciting results. We, a few years ago, developed a readmission uh, prediction algorithm, and we were publishing, probably released in hospital pediatrics, maybe even this week or next week, 
will be an article that looks at the cost savings uh, from reducing uh, avoidable um, uh, readmissions. And it turns out we are probably have saved the healthcare system in just a short period of time, over $2 million, $2.5 million or so, just on a, a reducing uh, avoidable readmissions just in our, our little uh, system. So um, that's, that's exciting to see that it's actually not only just generating results of reduced readmissions, but generating true cost savings to um, not only the institution, but also to healthcare. We uh, are currently analyzing our new predictive tool that we're using in the ED that predicts sepsis upon arrival in the ED and uh, at triage. And we're seeing some really good results with that. And um, hopefully uh, still have to show that we're actually improving outcomes in children who do have sepsis by treating them earlier. Um, and then the one we're just implementing now is a uh, prediction of rising risk. So we can, based on a patient's prior year of resource utilization, predict future utilization and redirect our caretakers, our care managers, our other uh, community-based uh, uh, liaisons to go out and interface with these patients. Uh, and intervene before they get sicker. So it's, um, those are just some of the things we work on in data science um, for predictive type of analytics in addition to um, some of the other work we're doing in image uh, analysis and other things. So, so here's one that, that really just hit last night. I was watching a show last night and we'll see if you have any reaction to it. Um, it was talking about especially in in teens due to and they believe a lot of it's due to covid covid the covid environment not necessarily covid specifically the disease but the pediatric hospitals and especially emergency rooms are seeing unbelievable records in teen suicide and teen suicide attempts especially younger girls uh, younger teen girls in the united states right now all-time record highs I don't know if you have any information, anything like that, but obviously that's one of those things that we'd love to make people at least aware of. Well, that's it, certainly a huge problem. I don't have the information on the frequency of that happening in our environment. I can tell you that we, because we have so many kids, teens and preteens coming into the ED with suicidal ideation and severe depression, um, another mental illness that we can't and they're sort of occupying beds we're developing um, sort of a mental health holding area uh, just to have a place that those patients can be that doesn't take up acute care beds um, so we're uh, working quickly to do that uh, so it's it's a huge part of our ed volume uh, now, fortunately, on the other hand, we have a very active psychiatry and psychology program at Chalk. We have a large inpatient unit that um, we can leverage and a lot of personnel here. So we're a little maybe more advanced than some organizations and more able to handle it, but um, it's, it's a huge problem. 
And I think one of the biggest problems is a lot of, you know, the kids coming in, they don't have any place to go, um, particularly since there's such high volume, but also uh, we haven't addressed mental health well enough uh, throughout the country. And this is just a time that's demonstrating that probably. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as I've, not recently because of COVID, but um, as I've got to travel around the globe over the last five or six years with members in so many countries, it is interesting that it appears that U.S. is one of the last truly um, modern societies that treats mental health and physical health so separated. It's just, it, it's, a, it's a strange thing. Like it's not holistic medicine. It's like we're two different bodies. You know, what's, what's pretty amazing is when we developed our mental health unit, um, we discovered that we're only, we're 18 beds out of only 100 or so beds across the, company, the country that take kids with significant medical disease combined with um, a um, mental health disease diagnosis and treatment requirement. So we can take sick medical patients, put them into the same, into an environment where they can get their medical care along with their psychiatric care. And a lot of our um, medically fragile children, uh, patients with cystic fibrosis, a lot of our eating disorder patients and others have significant medical problems that have to be addressed. Wow, well, good for you all. That's, that's absolutely admirable and commendable that you all are focusing like this. The number seems way too small when you consider uh, the population of the United States, but uh, good for you all for focusing on that. Yeah. Well, our time's kind of coming to a close. I've got one last question we'd love to hear from you is leaders like yourself and so many others are, are constantly trying to be ready for the future, but also fighting today's battles in so many different ways. Love to kind of hear what you think the industry should continue to focus on over the next, say, I don't know, we'll just throw a timeline out of, say, 12 to 18 months, you know, and, and that includes us, you know, and a, a, a challenge to us inside Chime. That's not just the staff, that's us, the community, the family of Chime members. What should we really be focusing on over the next, say, 12 to 18 months? Yeah. Well, if you look at Chime's mission of using knowledge and technology to advance healthcare globally, um, we have to stay true to that um, and maybe redouble our efforts, if that's a term that you know, tends to be used colloquially. Um, but just to really work with other countries and work as a global environment uh, to uh, improve healthcare. Um, I, we can't forget the uh, third world because uh, it's fine to say, oh, they're, they're over there. Uh, in Africa or some other place yet. Uh, that's where viruses come from. That's where uh, diseases uh, can uh, perpetuate if we don't uh, work together as a team. So I think that's very important. And I think the other thing we have to do is, you know, I'm not going to be working forever and you won't be working forever. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I'm going to work for a while, but not forever. And uh, we have to continue to develop our future healthcare IT leaders. And I'm very committed to that as well. And I've been working with Chime to develop the, the concept of a certified uh, digital healthcare leader uh, position and certification. Um, I think that 
uh, that's going to be very important in the future is just focusing on and continuing to provide those educational opportunities and leadership development opportunities. Uh, someone's got to replace us. And it's not going to be, uh, I don't know whether as many people are really interested these days. So uh, we have to work hard in that area. Well, Bill, uh, unfortunately, our time is up. I'd love to thank you for all you're doing, all you're doing for the folks in Orange County and the region there, but just as importantly, what you're doing to serve and volunteer across our nation. You're truly one of our, our heroes. We appreciate all your service and sacrifice during these tough times. Uh, well, thank you, Russ. I appreciate the acknowledgement. And thank you for all that you're doing uh, at CHIME, because it, it, we have to all work together if we're going to make any progress. Well, that also includes you, our listeners. We'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, LK, the wonderful friends of our foundation, for their sponsorship and support of this program. You can visit this program at chimecentral.org forward slash media or Spotify and many other places. Please, for now, Stay vigilant and safe during these difficult times. If you haven't, please consider getting vaccinated. It's not just for you, but for the people around you. Take care, be safe, and God bless.